Who's been the best signing so far? Who's had the biggest impact new signing this year? Jumping right in like the cold water. You just got to fucking jump in there. So I'm going to answer you straight up here. No bullshit. Number one has got to be. I'm going to go with Ollie Watkins. Just on the standpoint that he's come in and completely given Villa a new dynamic to work with. Last year, they had problems with strikers. A lot of pressure was on Jack Grealish. Yes, they've also signed Ross Barkley. Great signing. But they needed an out-and-out striker. And it seems like they've got the guy now who has scored a hat-trick against Liverpool and now a brace against Arsenal. And you can't deny the fact that those strikers are hard to come by, especially in this league. I think honorable mention goes to James, but I think he's the talk of the town. Yeah, I've, I've, I've definitely given James his praise enough already. I think we're, what, we're on episode eight this season, and I think the past seven you have given him his credit. Yes, so good answer there. Bit cliche coming from me, Edouard Mendy. And I think that's just simple because of the mistakes that you have seen Kepa made, make over the past couple years. You've got some confidence brewing in the back line. Right? Exactly, and, and that's, you know... In a way, everything you need. Look at the signing that Allison proved to be for Liverpool. Granted, of, of course, Van Dijk comes into play. Of course, Salah comes into play. But Allison. But you respond with Thiago Silva and Hakim Ziyech, who's been on fire as well. Agreed. But I couldn't go to ch- uh, many Chelsea players. So I think Edouard Mendy for me personally, but a- another one. I mean, I think of all the teams in form at this moment in time. and. And I think you have to take into account everything that transpired with the team last season as well. And and I think of that with Tottenham Hotspur. Serge Aurier is like a David Luiz, a Pepe in your team. He's a hothead at times. And he can be the man who, in a massive game, gets the red card or commits a penalty in the box. Tottenham Hotspur have replaced that with Matt Doherty. For a very bargain price, too. Bargain price. Typical Mourinho business. And I think this past weekend, after the matches, you know, it takes some time to obviously get acquainted with a new club, new players, new system. After this past weekend, granted it was West Brom, Matt Doherty, phenomenal. Phenomenal. Got the assist on the game winner. Tottenham sitting in second right now. I mean, you can't you can't go wrong with that. So, Matt Doherty. Well, let's take this down to something a little bit less... Exciting than last-minute goals to win it all. We're going to start with the most drab affair of the weekend. Let's get it out of the way. Something less exciting. Good good way. Brighton Hove Albion versus Burnley, who played out to a very boring nil-nil draw. I think Burnley, this is the time, and I think we've said this once or twice before on here, I think it's time for Burnley to go down, and I think it's time for Sean Dyche to try out a new job here. They clearly just haven't shown the interest in becoming that next step Premier League level team. They need to splurge the cash in the market. They need to back the manager. They need to put out a squad that is representative of a team that's been in the league for this long. And they have not done that. They consistently have not done that. I just think it's time to move on. And we have said that time and time again. You need to reinforce in the summer. You need to reinforce your team, no matter if they won the league last year made the top four, whatever the case may be, you have to strengthen because there are weaknesses. Not everyone is perfect. Not everyone has a season like Liverpool. Otherwise, there'd be no doubt that this is the best league in the world from the Spanish capital, from everywhere, right? Exactly. So, you never know what's going to happen. In this I, it's a reoccurring theme, and when it, that's a reoccurring theme, you can see that those types of teams go down. I do think it's time for Sean Dyche to move on. I think it's time for Burnley to completely start over again. And, you know... If you look at Brighton, Brighton are down there. They're in 16th, but Brighton have attempted to have attempted to do that. And I think it was just an off day. You're going, you know, you're going to a Burnley side who's notorious for keeping you in the game or maybe staying at that clean sheet for 45 minutes, 75 minutes, but you still get the odd goal. You know, I think it might have been just really at the at the end of the day an off day for Brighton. Well, one of the uh... 
surprises of the weekend was that for a very short period of time, Southampton were the league leaders. And they did this after a 2-0 result over Newcastle United without Danny Ings in the squad. Yes. And step up Shea Adams and step up Armstrong. Uh, it was a good performance. I got to see the goals. Shea Adams' goal was top-notch. Definitely a striker with confidence at the moment. Confidence, but just a beast. He's one of those like he's one of those types of forwards. He's an he's a Antonio type of player. And Traore, they hold up the ball really nice, and and they're a, a, a clinical finisher. And you can tell he's got that. And you called it last year. Granted, it took me like, a year. Yep, like we were saying, it takes time. So Southampton really one of the top three informed teams right now in the league. And I think we were said that with Danny Ings going down, Southampton weren't going to get a result that weekend. And they go, they go ahead and do that. And yes, they hit the top of the uh, table. For a short bit. period, for a short period. But on another note of this game, uh, Newcastle United look a little bit out of sorts. And I don't I don't want to blame this because we've, we've said Steve Bruce dead man walking before and I don't want to call him a dead man walking because he did they're not in a bad position they're not like in danger by any standards but you want to see something more from Newcastle because they have assembled a squad that is on paper I think you can compare it to Southampton you know what I mean they should be both competing at that same kind of level and they've gotten the the Premier League experience. Now they have a good forward. They have Callum Wilson, Ryan Fraser on the right, or on the uh, left or right, wherever he wants to play. And Jamal Lewis at left back. I think those were great additions over the summer. You got Jeff Hendrick in the midfield. But they just don't seem like they're putting the pieces in the places they need to be in order to get those results. So what you're saying is that is the difference between the two teams at the moment in time. And, and, you can say that you don't want to say that because I think at the end of the day we respected the job that Steve Bruce put together last season and I think that's what you have to take into account now when it comes to the difference between Ralph Hasenhuntle and Steve Bruce. It's the manager at the end of the day that is getting these results and getting this team behind him and they're understanding his tactics. They're understanding the formation that they're going out with every week in Southampton. But can you argue Southampton have a clear style that they're playing with as opposed to Newcastle or do you think that they're just kind of putting the places putting the pieces in the right place yes and no because I think with Southampton you've got almost every fitting piece of the puzzle you've got two tall center backs you've got a good keeper you've got a, a dead ball specialist in James Ward-Prowse you had you know a a 20 plus goal striker in Danny Ings you can get that out of Shea Adams. You if know, you, you get 10, if, 15 out of Shea Adams, maybe. And, and then you've got some wingers that can interchange. And I mean interchange as in subbing on and off for one another. You got Walcott now. You got, sorry, Walcott. You got Walcott now. You can place him as a starter or a bench player. And you've got Nathan Redmond, who I think has been, a, since the time he's been at Southampton, in my opinion, he's been very, very good. I think sometimes he doesn't score as much as he probably should. He doesn't have that output. But if you watch Danny, if you I'm sorry, if you watch Nathan Redmond play, and you've watched this league for a while, you can tell that he's not out of his element in any standards. One thing you can like about him too is that, I mean, from my perspective, my dad always used to say this, but like they're all English. A, lot, a majority of those players are English, and they're gelling together. And that's what I mean when it comes to the England team that you have to put those players who are informed. And granted, Gareth Southgate picked Ward Prowse and Danny Ings, and has played them. Would like to see Ward-Prowse in there a bit more, but I understand with whom we're dealing with on a daily basis right now. He's obviously trying to find his formation, but not to get off topic here. I think with Southampton, they're notorious for their academy. However, they're making the smart businesses, business decisions in the market. They're not at the point right now where you can, other than Danny Ings, if they needed to recycle through some players maybe to get some funds or to, to kind of change something in the summertime because inevitably big clubs come calling. You saw it with Pierre uh, Hoiberg when going to Spurs over summer and they haven't looked like they've missed him that much. But look at Hoiberg at Tottenham and he's been doing extremely well. We can talk more about that later when we talk about Spurs but I got nothing good Nothing but good stuff to say about Southampton right now. I think that's and why we have to concentrate them on them exactly. a little bit here. Is because the form that they're in 
just to cap it off, this match, where do the two teams finish towards the end of the year? We've obviously had our predictions, but just now, after eight games that you've been able to see these two teams, are Southampton top six, top eight? I see Southampton top... Uh, top ten. Mm. I don't know. I think it's a long season, and we they do they don't have like incredible depth. And I think if you lose Danny Ings long term for more than like two or three matches in a row, or Shea Adams something happens going down, or James Ward Prowse goes down, like that's going to be a big miss for them. And they don't really have the person to step up and kind of come right back in and keep them on that level. Shout out to Hassan Hoodle if he can manage someone to do that job, but. I say Southampton 8, feeling good. And Newcastle, I think, I had them a little higher up, I believe, earlier on, but I can see them staying in this 11th through 13th place kind yeah. of finish. Yeah. So next up we had a marquee match of the weekend, and it was a match that some people thought would be the last for Sir Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at the helm at Manchester United. And like when your best buddy scores on you in FIFA – it's time to reel it in, and it's time to get the game together. And Ollie did that. A resounding 3-1 result he against Everton. He leaned forward. You lean forward, <laughs> and you, you, there's no more talking at that point. None. None until you get the result, and he does it every time. But It's the talk of the town. It, he does it every time his job is on the line. So realistically, how long does Ollie have? Or let me say, is his job actually even up for grabs? Do you think they truly, truly back this guy? I just don't see how a club like Manchester United is going to ignore the fact that Mauricio Pochettino is on the market and available. We've said this, Fair point. We've said this thousands of times probably on this podcast, and you just got to – I mean, there's no way going around it that you – there's no way – I mean, obviously, he's done a good enough job to back him. But Pochettino is a class manager, and they need to be going for it. Whoever they can get that's going to be an upgrade. If you're a team that's trying to win titles, bring in the person that you know everyone wants and is very capable of molding that Manchester United team and its academy into a very dangerous team. Ollie did what he did last year, which, granted, nowadays, top four is apparently a good season for some clubs. It's an expectancy for others. Oli last year, I think any manager could have done that with, with that squad of players. If you told me, if I told you tomorrow that Oli was, Oli was sacked and you've got over the international break to get this team in line for their next fucking result, and let's say you're playing, oh, they're playing West Brom next, could you feel the winning team to beat West Brom yourself? <laughs> I could. I could. I can With that a, Man United squad. I could take a free kick myself oh to beat my that gosh, West Ham. guy team. subbed himself on. <laughs> Player manager. Uh, yeah, of course. But, like, again, I, I, I think Man United right now, they're trying to go and, and show some merit to, to their organization. It's just not they, consistent. They want to, to show that they, at the end of the day, are going to respect someone who has given a lot to that club. If you think about him as a player... You handle those types of people with, with a lot of care <laughs> when it comes to, you know, when, you, when it comes to fruition at the end of the day, that guy has a reputation at that club. Look at Alan Shearer when he went to manage Newcastle, though. I would say that was a pretty not, well, the fans might have loved it. And he was in there at a very weird time for the club. I just, I mean, obviously, I don't know how, I don't know many Newcastle fans. I can't say that his, his view from, was tainted by his tenure there, but it's something similar. And we're seeing something similar with Frank Lampard at Chelsea, and we're seeing uh, Mikel Arteta come back and manage his club. Yeah, everyone, everyone, it seems like that's the, the way managers are going now. And, and the ones that can hit it, hey. We saw Duncan Ferguson last year oh. in Everton. and Please don't bring you that You don't like up. that guy, but he, he loves celebrating. <laughs> Come on, oh, man. <laughs> Come on. First match in charge. Goes and does it against my Blues. Wow. Uh, unbelievable. Well, Typical. speaking of the Blues, let's get back to the result and move this forward. 3-1 was the result for Manchester United. Bruno Fernandes stole the show. Um, and Edison Cavani, the matador, is off the, uh, off the mark for the Red Devils. Not what you want. 
if you're not a United fan and you compete for the top four year in and year out. You don't want Cavani to start scoring. You, he's a better option to, to Igala. He... He, he could very well be challenging for the He's one job. of those subs you don't want to come on because he could be that 15, 20 minutes of what they may be looking for in a match. So, um, good for Man United fans, but I'm just, I can't stop thinking about it with all the turmoil that they, they're constantly in and out of the news. Are Man United on the verge of a massive exodus of players? I wouldn't say an exodus. I think that Certain players are kind of going through the motions on their way out, and I believe that Paul Pogba is one of those players. Um, the guy has not reached the heights that he did. I don't know about that. I would say the heights. I okay. would just say the fame's come, come over the guy, and I, I think he's one of those players who has an attitude. And I don't think that that's me lying in any way he, ha- he has an attitude and we don't get to see what goes on behind the scenes but do you want an attitude at Manchester United right now? a, w- a winning attitude I'd, Ricky brought this up to me when we were talking about Arsenal I'd rather have ugh, this is hard to compare it to but Xhaka for example Jack is that kind of guy who is going to look at you and be like what are you doing at the back? get it together you know what I mean? We can't do this. We can't do that. Or he'll look at you and be like, where were you? You know what I mean? Instill that fear in you in a way where it's like, i got to get my shit together. i got to get right. I can't see Pogba being Pogba's that Pogba's not that though. kind of figure. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. And I'm, I would not take Pogba's skill or, or Jack's skill over Pogba by any means. That is the only department Jack beats him in. I mean, there's no denying the fact that Paul Pogba is a fantastic player. But for the money that you've paid for him, I don't want to say it's all about end product, but in the previous years, Pogba has scored more goals and assisted more goals than he has in this this last, let's say, calendar year. He hasn't really overwhelmed anybody by any means. Like, I mean, he'd have one great game every now and then and go cold for six. And maybe that's being going cold from a end product standpoint, but... If you're paying that much money for somebody, you got to have some goals and assists at the end of the day. That's all i got to say about United. I think Edmonton, bad day at the office. I think they'll come back after this break is over with a little bit better form, and they will kick on because I think Everton are the team to watch this year for sure. But on to the next result. The Eagles, Crystal Palace, four, Leeds United, one. Not really a result that we saw coming. But Palace looked good. Palace looked good, but there's one thing that stands out to me in this match. It's the VAR. Oh, when he was the the Bamford goal that was ruled out for pointing out where he wanted the ball. Like as as a person who's played striker before and not a good striker, but I still love you. you you're pointing it out. You're not touching the ball in any any. He's not even thinking about it. He's pointing. It's not a matter of pointing. It's, it's a matter for me of when I used to referee, and I posted this on Facebook this week. You might have seen it. But when I was refereeing and I went through the classes from the ages of like 12 to 18, when I was doing my recertifications, the rule was if a part of your body that you cannot legally score with, hand, elbow, Arm, right? Yeah, Forearm, like, shoulder is, is it's a bit questionable. It throws it. It depends on the manner and everything like that. So it's up to the referee's decision. But arm, hand, elbow. When you look at that picture, it is never offside. Especially when I was referring, I would always give the striker the benefit of the doubt. I really would because it's goals that you want to see in this game. But at the same time, you have to be professional and being a referee. However, someone commented, a family friend commented on my post, and they said that VAR is not the issue. It's the law. You have to change the law. The new law states that if this arm is in an offside position, then the goal cannot stand. So he needs to next time not fully extend it, have your arm at a 90-degree angle, and point forward, please, like James Bond. But the rule's ridiculous. That needs to be reverted. It needs to go back to what it originally was. Everyone in this game who follows it knows it wasn't good. 
not taken away from anything from Palace on their day. Tucker's moment of the match. Everiche Eze with a beautiful free kick. First goal for Palace. Very good. Going to be a good player for them. And nice to have him on the other side to Zaha. Yeah. You got Jordan Ayew got on the got on the score sheet as well. Always nice to have your striker score. All in all, a good day at the office of Palace. And now for another talk. To- I'm, I'm going to let you introduce this topic. You can go over the scoreline for this next game. I think the people want a tie to me. Yeah. Uh... Talking about this topic. Chelsea 4, Sheffield United 1. You love it. You love to see it, don't you? McGoldrick put him up early on. Of course he... I was rolling my eyes so hard when McGoldrick put the... And of course it was a freaking backheel flick. Beautiful little touch. McGoldrick, of all people, gets the goal again. My gosh. I was like, it's going to be one of these freaking days, man. I knew it. And I was proven wrong. I put Chelsea down as 3-1. They finished 4-1. Good to see that. Good to see your team come back, answer quickly, respond, and then really just take control of the game from there. Hakeem Ziyech, who we talked about a little bit earlier, has been the... I won't say most, because I I think Timo Werner has quietly been very impressive. Like, he had a slow start, but he's kind of shown that he's found that eye for goal, and he's comfortable a little bit more now. Uh, Kai Havertz has not hit the mark yet in my opinion I'm not going to write that off because we all know how good Kai Havertz is Uh, Ben Chilwell's hit the ground running I think but Hakeem Ziyech has offered Chelsea from a neutral standpoint a greater capacity for creating chances do you think that the people now would rather see the tricks and flicks and the setups prefer one of right they, they, do they prefer the tricks and flicks the setups the assist the, the, the curl to to a goal because now nowadays it's like yeah the striker can put it away brilliant finish great but look at the ball and i often think nowadays that people prefer that type of player they just want someone who can put it in the net clinical striker and to your point that's what timo Werner's doing He's just shown that he can put the ball in the back of the net. And that's what Chelsea wanted when they bought him. But Ziyech? He's got a more... He's, he's got flashy. S- swag. Yeah. Swag is the way to put it. Like, I mean, he's very Neymar-esque in the way that he's kind of... Like, not he's not arrogant. Like, I'll never... Listen, I'm a big, big hater of Neymar. I, I, just, I disagree but with where you're going I'm Neymar. saying play style, I think. Ziyech offers Chelsea that... Flair, where he's not, like you saw the nutmegs. Everyone's seen the nutmegs over the weekend. And there's not a lot of players in the league that really try that. You can say Alan St. Maximum goes for it a lot. Let me hit home for you real Let quick. Let's hit home. Let's go. Hakim Ziyech is a skinny David Silva. He's not Neymar. Neymar likes to go and attack players. Minute, that wait, is wait, one wait. thing I will respect about Neymar. He goes at players. He wants to show that he will take you on one-on-one. Zach, Hakeem, yeah, he'd do that. He did that nice little pullback, go forward on the sideline. But for me, he's he's he could be the dead bull specialist. I want to see the free kick. That's what I really want to see from him We've soon. We've seen the corners. We've seen the corners. We've seen the balls in from the wing. Going to change Chelsea. But that's Definitely. the thing is it offsets the balance a little bit. Not in a bad way. Because Pulisic... As great of a season he had, he's on a little bit of a injury patch right now. He was trying to get on a steady run of form. But Pulisic will run at you. You know what I he's, mean? He's Pulisic that name. Will, That's what he has about. Yeah, He might exactly. not create as many chances, but he'll be the guy that plays the final ball or he'll play. Yep. He'll score the final touch. Ziyech will be the guy that gets the second to final touch. He's the one who passes. He cross field to Ben Chilwell, who one taps it into Werner. You know what I mean? Like The goal, obviously, is great from chill well, but it's set up by Ziyech. you got to have that player with the vision like that. So nothing but props from me. And that's enough Chelsea uh, good talk I've got for the day. Chef United. They're in trouble. Are they the hot garbage that we thought they once were? I think, again, like my Shea Adams call, I was just ahead of my time. <laughs> that, uh, I'd like to give them the benefit of the doubt, man. I really think that they could pull through. They've been found out, though. I think they've, yeah, that's a good way to put it, man. And for as much as I like Chris Wilder, I'm not too sure he's got a backup plan because that plan he had coming up was very intricate with yeah. overlapping center backs. And I don't think of creativity, like we, we go on and on about Ziyech, I don't think of creativity in this squad. 
I can't. I, I think of hard work, determination, and, and you know, a system that was new, fresh, teams I haven't faced before. Figuring it out now. Even Chef United, I feel like, have, have a different way about their play. And I think it's backfiring. I don't think you fire the manager. I don't think you fire anyone. No. You you want him in the championship, though. You go and get someone like years ago. Years ago, who was it? Southampton did it first. Gaston Ramirez. They went and signed a a nice, delicate, silky player. player, And then he goes to Middlesbrough, right? His career kind of went down from there. But that's kind of the signing I feel like Chef United could use right now. I mean, they got in uh, Rian Brewster, who I was excited to see play. Has not impressed me, really. I think you need a bigger name. But you need I someone get it. in the middle. I mean, when they signed Sender Burrs last year, that was a big signing. Like, Agreed. I mean, that, was a, that was a team, that was a player that all top six sides were. He feels at. a bit slow for me right now. He's and big. He's a big he's motherfucker. A big, I, I, did, I, I, I get that. But for me, he's just a bit slower on the ball this year. And, and last year, you saw he was nice, intricate passing all over the you place. You play better when you're on a confident team. Yeah, and. Right now, Chef United are very much lacking the confidence. Right. So for a more exciting matchup, in my opinion, West Ham steal a result at the end and then are saved by a moment of madness from Mr. Lookman, who tries the no-look penalty to win the game. And it backfires, and it's saved, and West Ham take the three points, and West Ham continue to have a solid season. Scott Parker put it perfectly. You can miss a penalty, but you can't miss a penalty like that. Oh, I mean... Takes cringe. confidence to do that, and, and, you know, there's a big difference between Lookman and Andrea Pirlo at the end of the day, who, who converts them. You're 1-0 down to West Ham with the last kick of the game, and you're going to try a cheeky penalty? I'm not thinking. I'm no, thinking and Fabianski's a good goalkeeper. He's a very underrated goalkeeper. It was a poor penalty. It was poor penalty more than him being a good goalkeeper. I am saying he's a good goalkeeper in in respect to he ain't a fool. He's not going to throw himself. He's going to watch your body language. He's a Premier League veteran. And last second, look at that ball. Where's that? What's the direction of that ball? Then I make my judgment. I'm no freaking goalkeeper. I've watched a lot of pet. I've watched a lot of better check uh, videos. So. West Ham. Bring up Petrček. I know we're done talking about Chelsea, but I did read that he is officially a reserve goalkeeper. Don't you love to hear it, man? I would love. I would. I mean, I wish health to everyone. But could you imagine? I mean, Petrček making a return. Just the bench. Petrček. Can I recommend something? I very rarely do this because I don't do this often to to other players. I follow Steven Gerrard. I follow Messi, Ronaldo. Give that man a follow on Instagram. Because he puts out some cool stuff. He's doing hockey videos in his in his garage. He's doing drums. He's doing everything. One of the best men out there. But not to get off topic, West Ham United, they, they grinded it out. They grinded it out. And I think the difference between who goes down this year was just showed in that match. West Ham, obviously in the relegation battle last year, they pulled through. They're kind of showing that mentality right now. I don't right think now. they'll be in the relegation battle this year. Never know with David Moyes. He likes to surprise you here and there. You I never know. know. Moyes effect. <laughs> Fulham. Worry, worry days ahead. Worry days ahead indeed. Speaking of great Instagrams, this next manager has got a pretty great Instagram. Jose Mourinho has stolen the headlines this year from House Divided, but Tottenham Hotspur put in a 1-0 win over West Bromwich Albion. Harry Kane heading in in the last minute of that game. For his 150th. We'll talk a little bit more on that. But I want to focus on Jose Mourinho real quick on that Instagram. That is worth a follow if you're if you're a fan of humor, of dry humor. That's the guy to follow. He's hilarious. He's hilarious. Do you think he's got his mojo back? I think 100% he's got his mojo back. And I mean, I feel enlightened in the last... And I mean, I can only honestly thank it to the Spurs documentary for opening my eyes on the man behind what I watch when I play against Jose Mourinho. And you got to love the guy. He's definitely doing his own thing. I don't think he's play- I don't think he's really working with pressure right now. I think he's he's expressed to these players that they have had an unfortunate run over the past couple of years. Champions League run, fantastic. 
Tottenham could have so, won the Premier League and the Champions League if it weren't for some some Spursy decisions. Mishaps, let's call it. That's what he's expressed to this squad. I think we are there. We can be there, boys. You've done the hard part, and they they were there until they had those slew of injuries. So when I look at this with this Tottenham performance this past weekend, and again they were top of the table for a minute. They overtook Southampton. And, and it, was, it was them. Fewest appearances to 150 goals. Quick note, Harry Kane, 218 appearances. Alan Shearer has 212. Sergio Aguero, 217. So Harry Kane now is four places off the top five Premier League, top ten scorers of all time. And you know who's the, who that fifth spot is. Well, Frankie Lampard, 27 goals. He will 110% make it. He will be there. He is not facing anyone else who's in the Prem right now. I think if he stays injury-free and I don't want to call him leaving Tottenham. But he, if he stays in the league for his career, he will be the number one at the end of his career. Yes. Yeah. I think you cannot have those mishaps like we're talking about. And then I think he stays on. And, I mean, Tottenham, wow, to have that man the, his entire career... Props to you at the end of the day. The one thing I want to talk about this this uh, match real quick is that you you saw Tottenham win ugly, and teams that win the league have ugly. to win ugly more often than not towards the end, the latter stages of the year. Are Tottenham title contenders? Tottenham are indeed title contenders. This table is nowhere near complete. It's a bunch of lies. Looking at this table. And yeah, I think Tottenham are going to be right up there in the mix. I think Tottenham at times have looked more impressive than Liverpool this season. And Liverpool are up there. Um, I think January comes around. Do they sign someone? I think they will. I think they will splash a little bit more cash, especially if they're still riding close to the top. They know that. I think Mourinho will be in Mr. Levy's ear saying, listen, we are at the line right now. And if we can pull in one or two names in January for a little relief, he says, we can get you over that line. But That's Jose, where the pressure's on. Daniel Levy here. You have to understand that we have been impacted by COVID. He's not I do not care. Sign me at Shevchenko. <laughs> Don't give me fucking Danny Rose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's a different story. Touch base on West Brom. Are they going down? I think so. Um, it's still tough for me to watch West Brom. I think... It's still so early in the table that West Brom at times, I've, I've looked at them and think, well, they might be able to sneak in off of a good run of results if they can get something going. But I just don't see the, the squad quality to make it through, to make it out of that drop spot even. I just I think West Brom will go down. I think Sheffield will go down. And I think Fulham will go down if you're just going to place those three. Toppin on the next match is two teams that are always dark horses in the last recent year, recent year. Leicester City and Wolverhampton Wanderers. Leicester City came out 1-0. Wolves, not really at the races. But Jamie Vardy, what are you going to do? The man. Chat shit get banged. I think the, the fact that he retired from the England squad early has helped him. No pressure to perform. No pressure. Doesn't care to play in the England squad. It's, he has all the power, to be honest with you. He has all the power, and all he wants to do is go and play football on the weekends for less City. some goals. That's it. I got one question for you. Why are Leicester top of the table right now, going into the next international break? Thing about Leicester, and I, I thought about this when we looked at when we asked when you asked me before we started recording, and the only thing I can come up with is Leicester have had mixed results, but they have not drawn. They have not really dropped a lot of points. Like I mean, if you're going to draw, you're still dropping two points. You take a loss, you drop three, but they're winning games too. And the more games you win and lose, and less draws you have, honestly, do make up that difference. Come towards the end of the season. And you know what's crazy? is that they're doing it against the teams that you have to do it against to, to be The here. ones that they're going to be lined up with at the end of the season. Man City, they go and beat Arsenal. They beat Leeds, who, I mean, Leeds are very topsy-turvy, I feel like. They play such attractive 
football, but they're gonna get gassed out. They're, yeah, they're, it's just they're one of those teams that can play that, but still not be sorted out defensively. And then they go and beat Wolves. And then you know what the match is when we come back? It's against the champions. Statement match right there for Leicester to go and do Let's that at Anfield. And think about this, dude. Liverpool, I can't, I can't remember specifically. I got a lot of shit that goes on in the day. Liverpool are either on match 66 or 67 unbeaten at home. If Leicester go and do that to Liverpool. Brendan Rodgers against his old boys. My God, man. What, what a statement. I want but, Arlo White commentating that match. But What about Wolves, real quick? What, what was the matter with Wolves? Wolves just looked... I don't think they looked bad. I think they looked a little flat. Um, I think this was a... I mean, Wolves don't get beaten heavily. And Leicester could have easily beaten them heavily. They're always in it, Wolves are. Yeah. Uh, just an off day. Let's put it I at think, this. Let's say off day. Off day. Let me say, off day. Let me, let me share some stats with you real quick. As, as a season comparison here. Leicester City. In the... 2015-2016 campaign, the year that they won it, after eight matches, they were on 15 points. Three worse than what they're on right now. 18. At this stage of the seasons, season, five years ago, they had four wins. They have six wins right now. Defeats, they had three. This year, they only have two. They are plus one in goals scored. However, they are six behind what they allowed in 2015-16. So they're on track. They very well could be on track here. You said earlier, I don't trust this table. But do you trust Leicester to do the job this year? No, I don't trust Leicester to do the job because I think a lot of these big teams are still going into form. I think by the time Liverpool go full force again, by the time City get full force again, by the time you can say... Uh, Chelsea have started to move forward, I think, in the last month. It looks like they've turned a corner. And you're, you're going to want to bet on Manchester United turning some sort of form around. And once those other teams are back and running, I don't think Leicester will. But the good thing that Leicester can say they have done is that they have already taken points from a lot of those teams. Yeah, that's, what, that's the way the I look at it. But look at that. The match that they messed up on last year was Bournemouth. That was game-changing, season-changing for them. So... We'll see if they got the legs. Marquee match of the weekend. Manchester City won. Liverpool won. Some rough calls in this game. Even from my perspective, I uh, I thought the penalty that Kevin De Bruyne did end up missing. Horrendous miss, by the way. Um, that was a tough penalty call. Yes. But again, the rule. The rule has to be changed, just like the offside rule has to be changed. They are... The two toughest rules to comprehend right now as a fan, as a commentator, as a player, everything involved, everyone involved, it's, it's so hard right now to watch it. And, and, and what's even getting under my skin more, man, is they are now, they have the capability to see the exact same thing we're seeing. We get all the reviews, right? We get all the runbacks and slow motion. They get the same damn thing. But these refs are trained to stick to that law. We need to hear the dialogue. It's tough, man. I think we need to hear the dialogue that they're talking. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, we've never been able to hear what the refs saying before. But we've, I've seen it in the MLS tournament. seen it in the Australian League. It's not hard. You're, there's no fans in the stadium anyway. Why not give people the opportunity to listen to why these decisions are being made? First half was brilliant. Exactly why you would sit down and watch Man City-Liverpool. It was end-to-end, the first five minutes, end-to-end of the second half. End-to-end, still Mohamed going. Salah still coming back to haunt us. Yep. And then it just started to dive down. And I think both Liverpool and Man City... I don't like when commentators say this, but it almost felt true this time. When commentators say they almost don't want to be the ones to mess up. They're playing very passive at the moment. I think this is, and it's it's tough because I'm not gonna. I don't want to come off anyway as arrogant. But according to the table in the last couple of years, when it's been Man City versus Liverpool, kind of chasing. Obviously, aside when Liverpool ran away with it last year, 
we've also traded blows in the season, and we've dropped points to each other. I think a 1-1 result from the perspective of the players is that's, you know what I mean, that's not worst-case scenario. That's not the worst thing that could have happened to them. Obviously, they want to take the win, and you want to have them go for that win. But at the end of the day, if you're going to be playing against this team later on in the season, you're going to want your result to either be in your favor or null and void, not detrimental later on down the line. Yeah. You think you trump Liverpool? I think Kevin De Bruyne puts that penalty away and it was a totally different game. I'm saying this year. Do you get the title back from them? I don't know. It's a tough table to look at. And I think it's now November, right? And you don't want to be December, especially I'll I'll talk from City's point of view. I don't want to be in December still a game out getting into the top four. You know what I mean? Like if I'm sixth, seventh place come December, which I don't think is realistic, but it's still a very good possibility this year from the form that we've been showing. That's when I'd be worried that we've given it up. And I'm not even completely sold on the fact that it's Liverpool that's the team to beat this year. I agree with you there because, uh, again, they lose a big player, big player here. Trent Alexander-Arnold is now going to be out for a month. That is... Virgil van Dijk already was a big loss. And exactly, Van Dijk, he still has got he still has his ACL problem. That is twelve points. Twelve points up for grabs for teams that play Liverpool now. Jurgen Klopp brings up a big point. Give me your stance on allowing five substitutes again. We saw it work in the restart, and I I remember us being both pretty positive on that idea that the five subs gives opportunities for teams to change the whole dynamic of the way they play, which I think is beneficial to the neutral supporter. I also think that it makes sense to have that rule right now because of the lack of preseason and the list of growing injuries that we're seeing in the league. I think it would be fair, and I'm not saying this just because we have the depth that we can bring on all these different stars off the bench, but that that comfortability that comes with having extra people to spare and having you can bring in and afford to give some youngsters some more time to play and to show their mark, I think it's positive all around. I don't really see the downside of using it. And I mean, they had rules of how you could do it. You're not making five different substitutions a match. You have the limit on how many substitutions you can still make. But I think it just gives the game another dynamic to to work around from a manager standpoint, especially. I'm 50-50 because I think those those suffer uh, the lower teams do suffer because they're not as strong in depth. Like I mean, you, if you really think about it, man, the one that's coming to mind right to, right now to me is is Chelsea Liverpool. They've obviously gone on and signed Diego Jota, but you've got Firmino, who's again in terrible form at the moment. But those those are guys who can be substitutes at the end of the day, and they're the first name you're looking at to bring on the bench. You've got. Pulisic, once he comes back, he's going to obviously be involved. You've got Mateo Kovacic. Like, these are world-class players. You know, Man City, we don't even have to go through that squad. Of course it changes when it, when it comes to the teams like Burnley, South, uh, Southampton. Chef United was the one who comes to mind. Fulham, even, even Southampton, yeah, it comes to mind. But I think it's, yeah, it's great. Let's, let's inject more in the academy then. But then it's just, we, we, we don't want to get into the whole economics of, of all of that but that I think is going to be a massive difference between the top six always being those top six and not those new teams that are trying to get up there and, and break this duck and make this league like holy crap it really could be anyone's year at any time I don't even think five is the number I think I think four would be a good number two it's I think even three number. is definitely what do you mean it's an even number I like even numbers four is a good number and I just think three is limiting Especially if you're having an injury-plagued squad. Like a keeper or something. Like what if your keeper goes down the net? You have to use one of them. When, I mean, let's, let's be honest. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has claimed he likes to use Pogba for the last 30 to 15 minutes to give them something new. That's what he's claiming right now. But that's true if you think about it. Like Managers can be like, like Mourinho. He is the type of manager who would do that, I reckon. He put on Mikel. 
for what the last fifteen minutes every match to ensure a win. So we had we had a player like that, Mister Injeko. You'd bring yeah. him off the bench and you come on and you have that freaking Bosnian beast in the middle of the park. But it was a uh, good game to watch. I'm sure we'll have a better return game when we go to Anfield later on. Let's bring it to the final match of the weekend. Big shock. Aston Villa 3, Arsenal 0. Jack Grealish stole the show again with a tremendous display. Ross Barkley put in a great performance as well. And their striker, who we were raving about earlier on, Mr. Ollie Watkins, scores a brace. Aston Villa do look good. They just played with confidence, I think. I think far more confidence than Arsenal was showing. And and I think uh, Arteta has given that stability as far as defense and what they're looking for. Granted, we're talking about them letting in three goals here at the weekend. But I think since he's been there, he's someone who has given them that defense. But now the opposite end of the pitch is suffering, which is not a common theme for Arsenal. And... We were raving about Arsenal's defense. And, I mean, maybe we weren't collectively, but I was definitely raving that Arsenal fixed their defense over the summer. And it didn't look like it. And they look flat. They look a little bit out of ideas going... I mean, maybe just in this game particularly, but you're getting bossed by Aston Villa. Last year, that would have been even more embarrassing. This year, you can kind of rest easy on the fact that Villa have put what was it, seven against Liverpool, so you can't be too abstract. But Arsenal need to find a winning formula going forward. I don't don't think Lacazette is the one moving forward. I've been a big supporter of Lacazette. I've thought he was a good striker. I think he is a good striker. But I think if Arsenal are going to start to look past Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's reign, who they have just recently signed on a new contract... They need to start thinking of a, a backup plan. And look at Chelsea when you have Olivier Giroud, who could technically have done the job splitting it with Tammy. And they gave, obviously, Tammy more uh, time last year. I think you need, from an Arsenal perspective, someone that you're going to bring in who's clearly world-class, clearly at a younger age, and let them adapt into the role. Were they right to extend Aubameyang? I think if you're going to keep one of the two of them, it was a Aubameyang to keep. And but they haven't let the other one go. That's the thing. I thought you, we thought that there were going to be at least one, one sign of leaving. I also think now that it, if you're going to want some security and have a player like we, Aubameyang is the man. You know what I mean? He's definitely way more of the man than Lacazette is. So yeah. now they can sell Lacazette because he's not on brand new wages and a brand new contract. They can keep Aubameyang and now have that solidarity that nobody's going to really come pick him up. They're not going to take him out of this contract. Yeah. Dip in form. Off game. Obviously, you expect a bit more um, after what you have been seeing, but I think Arsenal... I I can't tell you what the answer is for them because they're making those signings that we've always critically acclaimed they need to do. They've made the right steps, and I think it's just a matter of getting the gears... Churning. South... Or, excuse me, Villa here. You know what? We'll go off that. Southampton or Villa. The, I feel like these are the two dark horses right now. Two, two, two teams in form. Two teams that could maybe go a distance. Who finishes higher? I think Southampton finish higher than Aston Villa. I think Villa will also be in the top 10 mix. So when you see Southampton, don't be surprised to see Villa... One place above or one place below them. <laughs> you said you said. I said Southampton eighth. I will put fifty dollars that Villa go above Southampton this year. Fifty dollars Villa above Southampton. I'll take that bet. Deal. All right. One more little piece of business to get into. We like the wacky jokes. We like the the odd banter and. Just before we started recording, you've tried your very first Taki. Fuego chili lime flavored. Hot. <laughs> it's a bit spicy. Yeah. I, it I got could, us thinking. I, I know where you're going here. Let's hear the best chips in your life. I don't know. I want to say, give me your top three chips. You can have some meaning behind them if you want. 
I'll tell you this. Or crisps for our <laughs> I'll tell you this. I'll go in stages. From the ages of baby to about 12. And then as an adult. I was a Funyun guy. Oh, God. Loved the Funyuns. Stinky breath. From the ages of 12 to 15, I was a classic Cheeto. Give me the crunchy Cheetos. Cheeto puffs or crunchy Cheetos? Crunchy Cheetos, not Cheeto puffs. Then, when I got into high school, and the cafeteria was always stocked on those purple Doritos. Those purple Doritos are number one. That sweet chili Dorito purple bag. The best will not be beaten. By far my favorite. It's a top three chip for me too. I'm not going to lie. I think growing up, I'll give you the same stages. Um, As a youth. Baby. As a child. (laughs) I definitely delved into the salt and vinegar Lay's chips. Lay's. I was a big big Lay's salt and vinegar fan. I got into high school. The best chips to have with a sandwich. They are a good... It's a good sandwich On chip. Wonder Bread. Not like a sub. A sandwich. Yeah. You want the crunch. You want the crackle. And a little bit of that vinegar puts in nice on the deli meat. Next bag of chips for me is going to have to be... I'm putting the purple Doritos at number two. Uh, because those were what got me through school days. Going to the vending machine. Grabbing three bags of them. And then throwing them in my backpack. Eating them throughout class. I think as an adult now, I've, I've become a little more refined. I've gotten a better taste of my chip. My, this my is chip, a good life story. Yeah. This is a good life story, but I think now that I'm an adult, the best kind of chip for me is a kettle cooked chip. <laughs> and I love those oven kettle chips. And You sound like an old man, an old know. single man in, living in Montana. Well, I'm a single man living in Naples, Florida, <laughs> and I like me some barbecue kettle chips. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, hey, we'll we'll put it to the people, right? Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll check in after the international break.